Nothing in life is more important than this. That you stay faithful to Jesus. Not your health. Not your finances. Not even your family is a higher priority than staying faithful to Jesus. We come tonight to Mark chapter 13, which is the most difficult chapter in all of this book. But the message at the end of it all really is pretty straightforward. Stay faithful to Jesus at all times. Let me just remind you of what's going on in the context of Mark 13. It is the last week of Jesus' life. By day he has been in the temple in conflict and controversy with the religious leaders as they've tried to trap him in his words and gather ammunition to use against him in a trial at some point. He's been able to outsmart them on every occasion. They've been unable to trap him in his words and he has consistently condemned them for their corruption and for their corrupted, fruitless religious system perverting the religion given to them by God. It has become fruitless and corrupt. And Jesus condemns them. And he even goes as far in chapter 12 in the parable of the vineyard as to tell them that they will be removed and replaced. He goes into the temple and he chases out those who were selling and buying animals and those who were changing money, those who had turned the court of the Gentiles into a flea market and hindering the worship and prayer that should be taking place in that place. Oh yeah, the point of no return has come now as Jesus comes to the, the peak of his conflict and controversy with the religious leaders. He has condemned them soundly. And they must respond. And as we saw this morning, the last teaching he gave before he left the temple for the last time was to condemn the scribes for their religion, which was without love for God or love for people. Where is all of this going? Where is this heading? We know it's heading to the cross. We know this conflict Jesus has with the religious leaders will culminate on the cross. But, but there's a bigger picture going on here. This is not only about Jesus going to the cross. This is about God bringing judgment upon a corrupt religious system and its corrupt religious leaders. And as we come to chapter 13, what Jesus teaches in chapter 13 is the details about how this religious system will come to an end. He has predicted already 
that God was going to judge them and replace them. Now in chapter 13, he's going to begin to give some of the details of how that's going to happen. I originally wanted to try to preach this entire chapter in one sermon, and as I began preparing it, there's just no possible way for me to deal with the material adequately and do it in one setting. There are three main points I want to make from this text, and tonight we're going to look at just the main, just the first main point, which covers the first 23 verses. And this will set us up to be able to come in next Sunday morning and drive home the teaching of this chapter. So let's look at Mark 13, verses 1 through 23. I'll invite you please to stand for the reading of God's holy word. And as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. But see to yourselves, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a witness to them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they lead you away, Delivering you up, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. And brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and the one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house, and the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his garment. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of creation which God created until now and never will. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, 
Oh, behold, he is there. Do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But as for you, see, I have told you everything in advance. Please be seated. If I was going to give you the message of this entire chapter in one sentence, this is how I would do it. Stay faithful to Jesus at all times because he is the center of true religion and he's coming back. Let me say that again. Stay faithful to Jesus at all times because he is the center of true religion and he's coming back. We're only going to be able to deal with just part of that tonight. I want to deal with this idea tonight. In verses 1 through 23, I want to talk about this. Jesus is the center of true religion. Now, when we come to chapter 13 and verse 1, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple, as I said, for the last time. Or at least it was the last time for Jesus. Wouldn't be for his disciples. And one of the disciples said to Jesus, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. Of course, he's talking about the temple. Understand, in the time of Jesus, the temple was the center of religion for the Jews. What took place in the temple was the very heart of Jewish religion. The temple is where all of the yearly feasts were held. Passover, Feast of Tabernacles. The temple is where the burnt offerings and sacrifices were made. Especially the yearly sacrifice made on the Day of Atonement. That all took place in the temple. The temple is where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. Inside the most holy place where God's presence dwelt with his people. Without the temple, Jewish religion as it existed in that day would come to a screeching halt. And that's exactly what Jesus tells his disciples is going to happen. In verse 1, one of the disciples says, Look at the wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. How amazing the temple is. King Herod enlarged Solomon's temple to a measurement of some 325 meters wide and 500 meters long with a circumference of about a mile. It, it was an immense 35-acre enclosure that could accommodate 12 football fields. The southeast corner of the retaining wall of the temple hung 15 stories above the slope down into the Kidron Valley below. The blocks of stones used in constructing the temple was enormous. Historian Josephus reports that some of the stones were approximately 60 feet in length. 
Yeah. The magnitude of the temple mount and the stones used to construct it exceeded in size any other temple in the ancient world. To say that it was magnificent was an understatement. But notice what Jesus says in verse 2. Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As magnificent as the temple was, its time was over. The God-ordained purpose of the temple had been perverted and corrupted. So God was going to remove it and replace it. One Bible commentator said it like this. Like a system of cells that has become malignant, the temple has forsaken its intended purpose and must be eradicated. And let me just tell you from the outset, the temple was eradicated and the city of Jerusalem raised to the ground in A.D. 70. Now when you come to verse 3, Jesus and four of his disciples are together. They are named for you there in verse 3. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Two sets of brothers. They have left the temple, gone down through the Kidron Valley, and are now across the valley from the temple on the Mount of Olives. From the Mount of Olives, they had a marvelous view of the eastern side of the temple. Now, Jesus has just told them that the temple is going to be demolished. And of course, as they sit looking at the temple, that leaves them with lots of questions. Verse 4, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? So they have two questions. You said the temple is going to be destroyed. When is that going to happen? And what is a sign we can look for so that we know it's about to happen? Okay, that's the question. What is, when is this going to happen? And what is a sign that it's going to happen? Now watch verse 5. Look at it. Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one deceives you. Now this is important. From verses 6 through 13, we see things that people sometimes refer to as the sign of the times. But what I want you to notice, what Jesus is actually doing is telling them these are not signs. Don't You see what he said? Don't be deceived. In other words, when you see these things that I'm going to tell you, don't be deceived. It is not time yet. Okay? So he's warning them about some things that he doesn't want them to be fooled into thinking, okay, it must be time. Now, notice what he says. So what are these things that he wants them to be aware of, but he's telling you, okay, before I tell you what the sign you're looking for is, I need to make sure that you're not deceived 
by these things. The first one he mentions is false Christs. Verse 6. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. Okay. Jesus says before the temple is destroyed, men will come claiming to be the Messiah. Men will come claiming to be what Jesus is. They were Jewish, would-be leaders, and they claimed to have the royal lineage and the ability, the strength to redeem Israel. Messianic pretenders, wannabe deliverers, trying to make a name for themselves. And history records that there were numerous such men in the years leading up to Jerusalem's destruction in A.D. 70. Historian Josephus mentions four in specific. One man was a Samaritan. He doesn't give his name, he just refers to him as the Samaritan. There was another man named Theodos. Another Judas of Galilee. And a fourth, he mentions, was a Jewish man who was from Egypt. All four of these men he mentioned seemed to have messianic aspirations. They tried to put themselves forward as the Christ, the Messiah. And they gathered up men to follow them and tried to claim the position of Messiah, all of which rebellions were put down by the Roman government. So those are false Christs he warns about. Now notice the second thing he mentions. Wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. You see that? That is not the end. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars. Don't be deceived. It's not time yet. Look at verse 8. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Okay, here's the idea. You're going to hear reports of wars in distant provinces, in distant regions. When you hear of those wars and those conflicts, don't be alarmed, don't panic. Why? That's not the end yet. Jesus telling the disciples, when you see these false messiahs rising up, when you hear about wars taking place, that is not the sign that the destruction I predicted is imminent. Then Jesus mentions a third thing he wants them to be aware of. Verse 8, earthquakes and famines. Jesus says, before what I've predicted happens, before the destruction of the temple, there will be earthquakes and famines. And there were. In the years between Jesus' crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension, between then and the destruction of the temple, there were earthquakes in Jerusalem. There were earthquakes in Philippi, Palestine, and Pompeii, and a major earthquake in Asia Minor in the year 61 A.D. And there was a famine in the, during the reign of Claudius in the mid-40s A.D. But notice, 
Again, these are not signs that Jerusalem and the temple are about to fall. Look what Jesus says. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, the metaphor of birth pains, a woman in labor, simply is used as a picture of suffering. This is just the beginning of suffering. This is not the end of Jerusalem and the temple. This is not it. So when you hear about wars, earthquakes, famine, don't think that, okay, the temple and Jerusalem are about to fall. He said, history is going to continue until what I have predicted comes true. He says, the events related to world affairs are false alarms. The next one he mentions is persecution by government authorities. Verse 9. See to yourselves, for they will deliver you to the courts. You will be beaten in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a witness to them. Okay, he tells the disciples, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be tried before governors and kings. And the reason you're going to do that is because you're going to be preaching Jesus. You're going to be witnesses to me and you're going to be brought before governors when you get arrested and kings and you're going to witness to the governors and kings. Verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Verse 11. When they lead you away, delivering you up, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Okay, Jesus says, even when you're arrested, tortured, and put on trial before the government authorities, that does not mean it's time for what I've predicted to happen, for the temple to be destroyed. What does he say in verse 10? The gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Now, let me tell you what that means and what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that before what Jesus predicted happens, the gospel will be preached to every single group of people that inhabit the planet. That is not what that means. First of all, I need you to keep something in mind. The question they asked Jesus... And the question that he is answering at this point is about the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. When he says the gospel must be preached to all nations, he means this must happen before the destruction of the temple. What he's talking about is Jerusalem won't fall until the Gentiles are brought fully into the church. Until all the nations become a full-fledged part of the people of God. Think about it like this way. Before the old order can pass away, Jerusalem, the temple, that old religion, before, excuse me, before the new order, Christianity and Jesus can be established, right? 
I'm getting, I got the words right in my head, but they're coming out wrong out of my mouth. Okay. Before the old order of things passes away, the new order has to be established. You understand? Before Jesus brings judgment on the Jerusalem religion and their corrupt system, the church has to be fully established. Do you understand? In other words, the Gentiles have to be brought fully into the church before the old religion can, can be completely done away with. The old has to, the new has to come before the old can be fully removed. And by the time the temple was destroyed in AD 70, the gospel had gone to Europe, Spain, Africa, all of Asia Minor, all of the nations surrounding that area. The gospel had traveled. Had the Gentiles were firmly established in the Christian church before that finally happened. Now, Jesus tells the disciples, don't be concerned with what you're going to say when you get arrested. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be tried. You're going to be beaten. Some of you are going to be killed. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Verse 11, he says, I'm going to tell you what to say. This is not the end yet. Why? Because the gospel has to go to the point that the Gentiles are made fully part of the church before what I have predicted is going to happen. Now, verse 12, brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. What's that about? This is connected to Jesus' previous words about the disciples being arrested and put on trial. They were being arrested for being Christians. When Nero was emperor, being a Christian was reason for execution. Did you know that? Nero's the emperor who... who executed both Paul and Peter. While he was emperor, he made it a capital crime to be a Christian. Now, Christians were convicted based on the testimony of others. That's how you were convicted. Somebody would testify as a witness against you that you were a Christian. They would go to the government. They would go to the authorities and say, this person's a Christian. You need to arrest them. And what Jesus is saying is, some of you, when you become Christians, your own families are going to turn against you and they're going to turn you in to the authorities. Christians will be executed as their own family turns against them. Their own families are going to despise them for coming to faith in Christ. They're going to be reported to the authorities and executed. So what he's describing basically from verses 9 all the way through verse 13, is persecution by government authorities. But again, he's telling them, this is not the sign of the end of Jerusalem and the old religion. I want you to think about something. Think about the things he's just mentioned. Think about it. What does he mention? He mentions false messiahs, men who rise, who, who raise up to, 
try to start a movement on their own and wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, persecution by government authorities. When in history have these things not been part of the world? When? When have there not been wars and rumors of wars? When have there not been earthquakes and famines? When have Christians not been persecuted? Never. That's just the world. And that's what Jesus is telling them. These things are going to happen. It's going to be hard. You're going to suffer and you're going to think, surely this must mean that it's time for him. He's going to come and wipe out this. Old. No, he said, that's just his history. This is just the world. Jesus says the temple is going to be destroyed. The disciples want to know when. What's going to be a sign? Jesus is going to give them a sign, but before he does, he wants to make sure they're not deceived by false signs. There will be false Christ, wars, famines, earthquakes, widespread persecution. Don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. These are not signs that the destruction of the temple is imminent. Those things we just covered are not the signs of the times. That's just the way the world is all the time. Always. Now, what is the sign? Does he give them a sign of when the temple will be destroyed and when Jerusalem will fall, when this old religion will be destroyed and judged? He does. He gives it in verse 14. Look at it. But when you see the abomination of desolation, Standing where it should not be. Let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The sign is you will see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. When that happens, that's the sign that the destruction of the temple is imminent. Now, the term abomination of desolation comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. Mighty forces from him will stand, profane the sanctuary fortress, and abolish the regular sacrifices, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. What is the abomination of desolation? It refers to the use of pagan objects in worship inside the temple. Bringing pagan objects into the temple. Desecrating the temple. What Daniel predicted was fulfilled in 167 AD when Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes ordered temple worship to come to a stop. And when he did, they began sacrificing pigs on the altar of burnt offering inside the temple. The temple was desecrated. That's the abomination of desolation. That's the idea. What Jesus is telling them, something like that is going to happen again. The temple is going to be desecrated. Now, several things happened during Jewish war with Rome that war that culminated in Jerusalem being wiped out, several things happened during that war that would have been considered a desecration of the temple. Let me just mention a couple. 
Jewish militants actually took over the temple. They usurped the high priesthood and they filled the sacred courts with men whose hands were stained with blood. Roman commander Titus actually went into the temple and into the Holy of Holies itself. Roman troops carried their battle standards into the temple court, set them up across from the eastern gate and sacrificed to their gods inside the temple. And this is what Jesus is telling them in verse 14. When you see the temple desecrated, you'll know the time has come. The destruction of the temple is about to happen. When you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the holy place desecrated, you'll know it's time. Then what are you to do? Verse 14. Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Now, why does he say Judea? Why does he only mention Judea? See, there are people who say that what Jesus is talking about here is, is when Christ is getting ready to come back at the end of time. There are people who say verse 14 is talking about the abomination of desolation. You know, this is going to happen in the, the they're going to build a new temple and that's going to have this is a sign that Jesus is about to come back. That's not at all what this is about. As I've already showed you, what Jesus is talking about in this chapter is the destruction of Jerusalem. By the way, there is no temple. Of course, people say, yeah, but there's going to be one rebuilt. Well, they've been saying that for 100 years. Have you any idea what kind of war war would start if, you, if somebody attacked the Dome of the Rock that sits on the place where the temple was built? This is talking about what happened before J Jerusalem fell. Now, we don't know which of these things was the desecration of the temple that caused, the, you know, that was Jesus specifically referring to. But he says when it happens, those who are in Judea need to flee. I want to get back to the question. I kind of got off chasing a rabbit, but why just, why does he only mention Judea? Because that's where Jerusalem is. Flee Judea because that's what's going to be wiped out. Judea. He doesn't say flee Philippi. He doesn't say flee Ephesus. He doesn't say flee Galilee or flee Samaria. He says what? Flee Judea. Why? Because that's where the Romans are going to destroy everything. Verse 15. If you're in your house, if you're on your housetop, don't even go into the house to get your stuff. Their house, their rooftops were flat and they were used for work and storage and they often did things on the roof. He said, it may be during the day, you may be up there working on the, on the roof of the house. If, if you get news uh, that the temple's been desecrated, you don't even go get your coat. You grab, you just come down your ladder and you get out of town. Verse 16, if you're in the field and you're plowing or harvesting, don't even go back to the house to get your cloak. Don't worry about your stuff. Get out of Dodge. Flee Jerusalem. Why? Because it's fixing to be destroyed. 
Verse 17, Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Because it's hard for women who are big pregnant and women who have to stop to nurse children to flee in a hurry. Right? They have to stop every so often to nurse. A woman bearing a child can't run. It's hard for them to travel. 18, verse 18, Pray that it doesn't happen in winter. Well, because in winter the temperatures are colder, there could be snow, and it would make traveling even more miserable. Why the hurry? Verse 19, look at it. For those days will be a time of tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will. Again, many people say this is referring to what has been called the Great Tribulation, Seven years of tribulation before the end of time. That's not what this is talking about. There is a word tribulation in Revelation, but it's not even the same Greek word. This word tribulation simply means trouble that causes distress. And what he's talking about is the events that, are, the events that surround the destruction of Jerusalem. He said it's going to be a time of pain and heartache and trouble like they, the world has never seen. That's why he's telling them to leave, to leave Judea. Because what's going to happen in Judea, what's going to happen in Jerusalem, what the Romans are going to, be, are going to do, is going to be unlike anything you've ever heard of before. And can I tell you, the devastation of those days was horrific. And fortunately for us, well documented. Historian Josephus records that the temple itself was leveled to the ground after it had already been burned. And even now, if you go to Jerusalem, what they call the western wall, the western wall of the temple, that was not actually part of the temple. That was part of the supporting structure that the platform of the temple was built on. There, are, there is not one stone left of the actual temple itself, just like Jesus said, not one. Not a trace of it. Let me mention just a few things. What did the Romans do to try to get the Jews to surrender during this war and attack on Jerusalem? The Jews who fled and were caught, they crucified as many as 500 a day in front of the city walls. They crucified so many that they ran out of wood to make crosses. A woman in the city had her food stolen. She was so desperate that she killed and cooked her own infant. But when the defenders smelled it cooking, they demanded it and took it from her. According to Josephus, 1,100,000 Jews were killed during the siege on Jerusalem and 97,000 were enslaved. One Bible commentator said this, Caesar ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground. All the rest of the wall encompassing the city 
was so completely leveled to the ground as to leave future visitors to the spot no reason to believe that it had ever been inhabited. Verse 20, look at it. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days. In other words, if things had continued the way they were going, there would not be one single Jew left alive in Judea and Jerusalem. But God stopped the destruction of the Romans. Why? Because of those Jews who had come to faith in Jesus. The elect. God's chosen. He says, for the sake of the Christians in Jerusalem, he stopped the Romans before they completely obliterated every last Jew in Jerusalem. God didn't allow the slaughter to continue because of the believers there. Now, I just want to summarize verses 21 through 23. I've told you in advance what to look for and what to do. So don't be deceived and led astray by false messiahs and other things I've told you about. Look for the desecration of the temple. Until you see that, it isn't time yet. But when you see the desecration of the temple, flee. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out of Judea. Because it's all coming crumbling down. Listen to me. It happened exactly the way Jesus described it. Exactly. But what, all of that, what does any of that have to do with you and I? What happened, what Jesus is describing already happened 1950 years ago. Why is the destruction of the temple significant for you and I? I'm going to be really brief. It's significant because of what it means. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem means the old order is out and the new order is in. God's judgment on the religion of these corrupt Jewish religious leaders, God's judgment on the corrupt old religion is complete and now... The new way is established. The religion that revolved around the temple is no more. Something better, something perfect has taken its place. What is that something better that has taken the place of the temple and the old religion? Jesus. Now do you see why I labeled this main point, Jesus is the center of true religion. It's not the temple anymore. God brought his judgment on the corrupt, fruitless temple religion. God has done that in order to establish his son. Let me give you two scriptures. Matthew 12, 6. This is Jesus speaking. I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Do you catch that? Jesus told the Jews about himself. 
I am greater than the temple. Here's another one. John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple. How will you raise it up in three days? He was speaking about the temple of his body. If you read the scripture, you can read between the lines that Jesus is putting himself forward as the new center point of the religion of God's people, not the temple. He's greater than the temple. The temple will be torn down and in three days it's going to be raised up again. A new temple. The temple that is the Son of God. I can't preach points two and three tonight because I don't have another hour and a half. But I want you to hear where I started. I want you to begin to understand why it is so critical that you stay faithful to Jesus. Because now, all true religion revolves around Him. God's done away with the old way. Now, if you're going to worship God in spirit and truth, you can only do that through the person of His Son. Oh, there's so much more. We're going to look at it next Sunday morning. Let's pray.